Today, I have a specially moving one for me because I'm talking again with my dear friends, Katarina and Vitas. They both live in Kiev and they have chosen to live there because they're trying to help their people during this time of war, the invasion of their country. And they start off telling us about the missiles firing into Kiev at civilian targets. Happens Monday, Tuesdays, and holidays. That's the kind of people they're dealing with and they're still fighting. And slowly, I think they're winning this war. So stay with us. This is very moving. These are deeply spiritual people. They're fighting for us all for the gift of freedom that we take for granted at times. So get ready for this. Welcome to Deep Transformation, self, society, spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. I'm John Dupuis, still, and Roger couldn't be with us today, but we have Katia Businas. I hope I got that right. <laughs> Do you want to say your names correct? Katarina Yesko and Vitautas Buchunas. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. And this is the third time that we've had this conversation about what's going on in Ukraine. Here we're, we're coming up on the anniversary of two years of war. And so I wanted to check in and just hear from you guys what it's like to be in a country that's been under attack and has heroically resisted for two, two years, coming up on two years, and there's been there's been hundreds of thousands of people who have died in this war so far. This is just a major, major conflict of the 21st century. Incredible courage on your side. And I'm convinced I follow things in Russia pretty closely. And Russia is falling apart. And I think it's a race to see if how long the Russians can hold out. And hopefully that a Western support of Ukraine will deteriorate. And that's what will happen if Trump, God forbid, gets elected again because he loves Putin and He's, he wants to be a dictator. So, we're, you know, we're just living in very perilous times. And just want to hear, you know, your, your, you know, what's the latest, you know, all four quadrants. And uh, how's it going, you guys? And how are you doing? First of all, thank you very much, John, for calling us again and inviting us to this conversation. We've been enjoying this connection for so long. My honor. It's always pleasant to, to exchange with your audience and with you personally. We have returned to Ukraine last summer. You, you may remember that for over a year after the full-scale invasion began, we spent a year in Lithuania. And now we're back to Ukraine, enjoying the country. Uh, your question how is it living in a country at war? We started very early in the morning today because of the regular attacks that Russians do usually in the beginning of the week. It's either a Monday or a Tuesday. We're quite used to that. They also use different holidays like Christmas and the New Year or some national holidays. They are quite um, attentive to dates. So today we started at around 5.30. We had the 
air raid alerts uh, all over Ukraine. And there were different kinds of missiles hitting drones, missiles, many airplanes in the air in the Russian space hitting various targets. And actually, I would like to start from thanks, because thanks to the Western support, especially thanks to the patriots that are from the U.S., we are blessed to have much more safety than we would have without them. You're talking about the Patriot missile system, right? Yes, missile defense system, yeah. Yes, the missile defense system is working quite well. Unfortunately, today they intercepted about half of everything that was sent and fired. So it wasn't that effective as usually. The difference is that when they fire Kiev, most of the missiles are intercepted. Usually it's maybe 69 out of 72. So we are very happy and blessed with our air defense forces. Katya, are they targeting military targets? Or are they just no, shooting? No, no. Even today, we have what they hit were civilian buildings in Kharkiv, in Kiev. All over Ukraine, actually, they are hitting the airports. There are no F-16s so far, but I think that they are preparing ground to hit the infrastructure that is getting ready in order to accept F-16s, which is a very important event for us. And we are looking forward to having our pilots back from them learning programs uh, that they're going through in the U.S. and other countries. So it is challenging. We have a 10-year-old son, besides other children that we have, the, the one that is in the primary school. We received few messages from the school on a daily basis that, don't worry, dear parents, we are in the shelter and we work according to the schedule. So we're quite used to that. And in general, it's meaningful times between life and death. When life is literally very fragile, you start to appreciate it a lot. So we believe it's one of the most meaningful time in our life. Yeah, it is. So I will I will probably add for it not to not to sound as easy and simple, unfortunately, with every of those, you know, massive missile and drone attacks some people get hurt some people die and unfortunately most of the civilians die including children and elderly people so what they are targeting maybe of course they are targeting some military infrastructure but mostly civilian buildings and that is done deliberately from russia because it's they're trying to create panic to create you know inner dissatisfaction of society and so that society brings up some pressure, you know, uh, to the politicians, you know, to urge them to stop war. But it is completely counterproductive because the more they fire, the more they attack, the more kind of angry, to put it simple, the they society becomes and more mobilized against the, the enemy. So uh, they they still keep that illusion or maybe maybe delusion that that they will frighten Ukrainian society. And not going anywhere with this, but of course, it is not as simple as it may sound from us because we're living in the capital city in Kiev, which is the most 
kind of protected city in Ukraine and in other cities it's not that the statistics is not that good and unfortunately there are more dangers and with every attack you need to go to shelters and the, the life is disrupted of course it creates a lot of stress so going through quadrants as you suggested so so from the from the upper left of course there's a lot of stress and some people are unconscious or unaware of that stress that's the interior personal dimension of each human being exactly yeah and it's it's building up so so of course it cannot go without any you know consequences but the, at the same time again staying in the upper left you know it's creating a lot of meaning because people are mobilized they know what they fight for and uh, the society is still consolidated and it's beautiful to observe and actually we feel ourselves much better here than in the peaceful nato and the eu member state lithuania which is my native country and it's beautiful and safe so far hopefully it will stay that way but but we both feel much much better here because there's so much to do and so much to create and so much to contribute to it, this is a special form of happiness it is not the fun education know, fun kind of happiness like we just right. have a pleasant pleasant life and there are a lot of challenges a lot of uh, a lot of difficulties and and even a lot of suffering but but in this context we so much appreciate every day that we are together that when we we can hug and and play and talk this sharpness you know of life becomes so so high and there is so much death suffering and injustice around It creates a very special form of happiness which is incomparable with with what we had when living in Lithuania it was much safer and much more comfortable in general kind of you know conventional way but here it's uh, yeah it's something special yeah and let me add that you have a choice in other words you have a home in Lithuania and you've chosen to live in Kyiv exactly daily attacked or weekly attacked or attacked constantly and again the emphasis is that Ukraine did absolutely nothing to provoke this. Absolutely, it's totally black and white. There's no gray areas here, and and we 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 can't forget that. And and I said before the before the cameras started rolling here that this war is not just for Ukraine, but Ukraine is fighting for all of us, all of the countries that that believe in democracy and believe in freedom. And the early part of the 21st century, there was a book written. The end of history. It's like liberal democracy had won. It's all good now. And, you know, all the countries have agreed that democracy is the best thing to do. And we can kind of relax and just enjoy the show. Well, that didn't happen. And we're still fighting it. And we're fighting on the interior, on the, I guess we'd say the the lower left in, in quadrants in the United States, whether we want to make a stand for democracy. And one of the ways that we're doing that is supporting Ukraine. And again, I, I feel that you are fighting a war not just for your own country which is more than enough reason but you're doing it for for every every freedom loving country and people in the world that's a huge huge debt uh, of gratitude and support that we owe you guys exactly and it's very it means a lot to us to hear that and to to feel that because still there are a lot of misconceptions and illusions and different thoughts that okay why don't you go and talk talk to putin and reach peace and and so on and 
most of that comes from completely, you know, uninformed and uneducated kind of basis because people just don't know what is happening. And on a theoretical level, you know, it's very easy to be pacifist, you know, and to seek peace and to encourage anyone to go for peace. But when you when you know who you are fighting with and what's their agenda behind, you know, it's Putin was is quite explicit, and his his elites are quite explicit about destroying the Ukrainian nation and and destroying Ukraine as a as a state from the political map of the world, you know, totally. So, so with that in mind, it's uh, you you don't have a a partner to talk about peace. Yeah, so it's pretty it's pretty black and white unfortunately and no and, and pacifism works in some cases like it, dr martin luther king here that actually worked here in the united states but that was because we were at a higher level of you know at least modernist and, and we were able to support that and and be moved by the courage of these these peaceful warriors but when you're talking a putin or a hitler they don't understand that they think you're they think you're a weak you know you're just a target and, and unfortunately, as much as we would like to just say peace and we love you guys and it's all good, it ain't. And Putin is not hearing that. And I think at this point, he's fighting not so much for Ukraine, but he's fighting to, to survive. In other words, he feels if he blows this war, that's it for him. Exactly. So he's willing to kill hundreds of thousands of people for his personal reputation. It's insane. Exactly. And his strategy for survival is to destroy the Western order generally, kind of. He's, this is his only way, because if he continues to function in a more or less democratic kind of system, then then he becomes accountable and he needs to transfer power and so on. So basically his strategy is to destroy and Ukraine is not not the last one. Yeah, And, and as you mentioned, Martin Luther King Jr., a famous quote is about Power and about love. power and love. You know, love is not enough. Love is not all we need. Actually, we need love and power. Those need to go together. So this is exactly what is what is now being integrated in in Ukraine because it's not only hate or kind of power, but it's it's love. It's love for our way of life, for the future, for children's future. And a lot of people are fighting so that their children will not need to go. To war. Yeah, uh, I, I started to work with military men recently, and I was very curious just before. And, and Katya, you're a, psych, you're a psychologist. I just want to let people know. Yes, yes. And one of the groups that I'm working with is a military re recruiters. This is a group of people who is responsible for recruiting competent people that may work according to their profession or learn very quickly the new profession, like become part of the army of drones or take care of the anti-missile systems, etc. I heard from this very brave man, in my view, because they all, they weren't drafted, they, they were demobilized. Basically, they were drafted a long time ago, then they quit the army and now they they were contracted so basically all of them have contracts it's a fair agreement with, with the army why they're serving when i was asking them to share their motivation each and every man has children in this group and the motivation is we just cannot leave this war to our children 
So these are business people, researchers, representatives of regular civic professions who had military background in the past and now are again back to the army for this concrete motivation, not to leave this war for their children. And Kate, you had told me in another conversation about work that you were doing with theater groups that I thought was absolutely amazing. So could you, could you speak a little bit about the work that you're doing there? Yes. As I mentioned before in one of the podcasts, I believe maybe more than a year ago, Russia is targeting not just civilian or military objects. Uh, one of the key targets is destroying museums, schools, and theaters. Symbolic objects. So it's it's symbolic objects. It's uh, mythology. So they are acting in a very smart way, on a subtle level as well, on the cultural level, not just lower left in terms of infrastructure and whatever military targets. So as part of my mission, I started to revive and help the theater groups, basically theaters and the groups of professional actors to stage the performances about those figures those cultural figures whose museums became the primary target of the Russian missiles. And sometimes it's absolutely amazing and very stupid because, for example, Ukrainian philosopher Skavarada, his main museum and the place where he lived for quite a while, it is situated almost in the forests, like very, quite far away from Kharkiv. And the rocket that hit it, like it was very precise target, it costed about $10 million. So it hit one place in the middle of nowhere, in the woods, precisely this building. And there are, of course, photos on the internet of what is there instead of a museum. It's very, very sad. They're trying to destroy the soul and the culture of Ukraine not just terrorize civilians. Exactly. They're trying to attack the cultural code because they they say that Ukraine is a mistake. Ukrainian language doesn't exist. Ukrainians, basically, it's just a version of Russians that forgot that they are Russians or have some problems with their minds and somebody indoctrinated them in some wrong version of, of themselves. So I'm now working on a quite systemic basis with producers and theater directors to revive, to tell people about the destinies and legacy of the main cultural figures in the Ukrainian history. And the plan is that we are showing it in Ukraine and then we will be showing it at least hopefully when men will be able to leave the country in uh, abroad to the Ukrainian communities of refugees in Europe and America, Canada, other countries. Because in order to maintain the high spirit, in order to maintain the connection with the country and the cultural code, you need something to lean on. And we believe that this material is, is very precious. We cannot move the museums. We cannot even reconstruct them quickly because most of the materials from Ukrainian museums are now hidden in order to protect it because they become the targets. That's why the plan is 
to help those figures to be part of our mythology, part of our culture, let them speak. They are very well researched and now staged. Yeah, mm -hmm. so to, to summarize, they're targeting the lower right, but they're not hitting the lower left. Exactly. Yes, and you're you're actually working after doing theater groups, having everybody come together and talk about their experiences with PTSD. Exactly. Like to be at war. So you're organizing, helping to organize these theater groups to help people process what's going on in their country. At the same time, your theaters are targets of military, of, of Russian missiles. I mean, that's... I hope you realize how incredible that is. Maybe you're in the middle of it. You don't see how special that is, but that's incredibly courageous, wise, and, and giving and, and heroic. So thank you. I would like to share about one, one example. You asked how the, the life in the war country looked like. Last week, I had my 40th anniversary. So I invited people to, yeah, sorry, birthday. So the anniversary as well. So I invited people to the theater and the performance that we were showing is Carlo Collodi's Pinocchio or the story about how to become a person, how to become a human, which has very deep roots in philosophy and theology. Because of course, Carlo Collodi's Pinocchio has very deep meaning behind just children's Walt Disney's cartoon that we're used to. But in reality, it is a story about becoming a human. So one of the focuses that we're keeping is how to remain human and humane, notwithstanding all those emotions that are um, arising every day after or during the attack, which is fear, anger, all kinds of anxiety and nervousness and stress. So I also see it as a priority. And after the performance, we always stay for at least one hour, more often 90 minutes to reflect, to relate to the material. So we're using theater to make sense. It's like a meaning-making emotional catharsis plus reflection and integration. And it, there was a fundraiser. So I asked people not to bring flowers, not to bring presents, and just to donate for two initiatives. One of this, this concrete cultural initiatives that we're now talking about, helping Ukrainian theaters and groups of actors to revive the key cultural figures and stage new performances about them. And second is optical rifle sight for sniping rifle. Rifle, sorry. A friend of ours who was the philosopher interpreting this evening and helping meaning to make sense out of the performance. At the same time, he is a PhD in philosophy. He's a theologian and he's a sniper. So <laughs> very interesting combination for today's Ukraine and I believe for today's world. We do need to be able to protect our values and our humanity and our humanness. And I do not renounce the option that maybe one day, me being a professional nonviolent communication trainer and psychologist, that I will need to learn sniping in order to protect my home, my family. 
in case Russians decide to invade Kyiv again, and in case the West doesn't provide enough support for us to to protect ourselves. Yeah, so I want I just want to praise that Katya raised some four thousand dollars just for that top class optical hindsight. We hope it will it will serve. It's already on the front. It's already yeah. And, and, and let me just say that you know probably the majority of the people that listen to this podcast come from a very progressive lineage, and I certainly have. And our heroes are like Gandhi and Martin Luther King and everything. So to hear that what this existential crisis forces one to do, you have a PhD philosopher theologian who's fighting on the front lines to be a sniper to protect his country, that if you lose the war, it's gone. Ukraine will cease to exist. Sometimes we have to change our attitudes, you know, and, and I was against the, the industrial military complex in the United States my whole life, I think, until now I'm really grateful that we have a good military industrial complex where the weapons actually work because it's protecting freedom, which is exactly what we were supposed to do. I think FDR called called the United States, what was the word, I forget, but the, the supplier of weapons for the democracies of the world. And seems that we're still we're still having to do that. Yes, uh, John, and we consider ourselves coming from the same bubble, from the same progressive and you know integral and peace loving. Kaiate is a nonviolent communication trainer, and we've been all that time as adult people, you know, in in this I don't know how to system of values, you know, and this war it makes us become more real, just down to earth. Down to earth and real, exactly, because it's uh, just pacifism is not enough, unfortunately. It's easy to sit on the sidelines and watch from the outside. Oh well, that's you know you shouldn't do that or whatever. But but how, yeah, how, yeah. And- how can we judge people whose whose friends and neighbors are getting killed every day and a country is being attacked continually? Literally, I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, that Ukraine losing is not the end of the game. If God forbid, if if that would happen. It's not the end of the game. It's the beginning of the much worse game. Because, you know, the another part of the story that Kata shared of, of those military, very mature men who are now in the military service, they say that we don't want to leave this war to our children. But even worse scenario, which is unfortunately very real, that if Ukraine loses, then those Ukrainian men and their children will need to fight against other European nations under the Russian flag. That's that's what always happens. You would not be able to avoid that because from the occupied territories, that part of roughly 20% of Ukraine that is occupied, most of the men are literally extinguished, extinguished as a cannon fodder. They were, they, they, they were pushed to the front lines. They were the cheapest cannon fodder for the Russians. And in Donetsk and Lugansk and part of those territories that uh, that Zaporizhia region and Kherson region that are occupied, so men are pretty much extinct, you know. And unfortunately, that's that's what is happening when Russia occupies. Then the first they, they do they they put all the manpower to go forward to other countries. So unfortunately, that's the that's the nightmare, and that keeps us very 
alert alert and uh, and mobilized and we believe this is the way our european friends and colleagues and american friends and colleagues have to think that in case ukraine is not helped to protect itself now then the ukrainian men will be fight the, and the ukrainian men know how to fight they have learned it for centuries and now they they also showed that there is some capacity they will be fighting against and i'm saying it out of very very big pain and it's very bitter topic and of course it won't happen within a year or two but within 10 years with the propaganda that russia is using in order to indoctrinate people into their and dupe in, into their truth so called truth narratives meaning and myth it is more than possible so be very mindful and alert and please send arms to ukraine yeah and, and it'll be our children fighting too at some point exactly your children will need to fight with children from this part of the world yeah yeah so again you're fighting for all of us and anyway again it's just incredibly moving I wanted to ask you about you got something coming up in September. Would you like to speak a little bit about that? Yes, we have a strong intention to invite foreign friends and colleagues to Ukraine along with the organization called Emerge Perspectiva. Emerge is a gathering that Perspectiva organizes two times a year usually and the last Emerge gathering in Ukraine and the only one so far took place in 2019 in the end of September so this year five years after along with Perspectiva and our friends and colleagues from Sweden and UK and Denmark we will organize a gathering sometimes we call it pilgrimage which is a part the spiritual journey and spiritual places here in Kyiv of course will be accessible to people who will come and we will be ha- very happy to share all kinds of experiences related to Ukrainian cuisine and arts and places of interest but besides that there will be very intense intellectual experience about deliberately thinking and envisioning the future that we want to create not just for ukraine ukraine is secondary in this context for the europe for for the planet we consider that coming to ukraine which is on the edge in a way of the democratic world is a, just a proper place to envision the future feeling into the fragility of life as it is and at the same time having this privilege to dream and deal with futurism so you are kindly invited we will happily share information about it within a month if you wish to know more please go to the website emerge ukraine and there are contacts of ivo mensch our colleague from perspectiva who is along with us with our team organizing it so we will have a number of preparatory meetings to tell more to communicate about the safety conditions because safety is super important for us and we will be caring very well for our foreign friends who might have some more concerns that we so we are prepared for that and we will happily host you in Ukraine in 2024 yeah and i i definitely plan plan on participating and i know the emerge group and they're really brilliant 
people. They're philosophers. They're good-hearted. They're they're just extraordinarily good people. So, and also, I would, we'd get a chance to meet just the common people on the streets in Kiev and soldiers and and these heroic people have been fighting this war for two. We don't, you know, we don't get to do that every day. And and what a what a uh, what a boost to the soul. And what a call to responsibility for each one of us to do what we can. And Marianne Williamson, the other day, we, we were interviewing her. She's running for president. She said, the one thing that it's lacking in any situation is what you can do. So there it is. Exactly. Yes. And I'd like to, to add a couple of words that it will be the focus of the event will be global. It will not be only only Ukraine, the, the context and surrounding, of course, will have impact. But we want to make this gathering with a global focus and really make sense of and address what is emerging, the idea of emerge itself, what is emerging. And as Katya said, in order to look at the system and observe the system and in terms of, you know, theory, you and any, any other kind of approach, you need to to better look from the frontier of the system. So if we consider the Western Western civilization, Western system, Ukraine is exactly the, the frontier, and it's much better to, to see it from, from here. And we expect some impressive opinion leaders and people as you coming uh, to Ukraine and having a really good mix of, of the foreigners and Ukrainians who will be tackling all that together. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much. You're always such a, you know, such an inspiration and the way that you carry on and you have options and you've chosen to stay in your country and help and fight in, in the way that you, the way that you can. It's, it's incredibly moving and it should move each one of us to do whatever we can to support Ukraine. I've been pestering my senators and Congress people that is hugely important to me as an American that, that we continue to support Ukraine. It's the most effective military money that we've ever spent. If you want to just get down to it, we haven't lost one soldier because other people are doing the fighting, but we certainly can support, do what we can. And in some ways we've been very good, but you know, we could always do better. But again, uh, the other existential threat is if Trump gets elected, he's very pro-Putin and pro-dictatorships. So in our own country, we have to fight democracy to enable you to fight for freedom in your country. And you're you're such role models for us. And I just appreciate you guys so much, so deeply. And I had laryngitis I'm coming out of, so that's why I kind of feel my voice is not real strong. Anyway, love you both so much and love your country and... I, I so look forward to to being there and being able to participate and just just breathe the air that you guys breathe and feel the vibrations and 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 meet the people. I think I would spend most of my time on the streets hugging people, you know, to put me under control or something like that. So, is there anything you'd like to 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 wrap up before before we close this? Yes, thank you, John, for those words of the support. That those they mean a lot to us, and we feel your support. This is a very special time and so many extraordinary things are happening and and especially this year so many tipping points you know building up in one constellation and elections in the u.s and many other places yeah it's pretty challenging to always make sense of it but you need to 
to be in touch with yourself and with some some higher senses to remind ourselves that it is not given it is not the the peace and democracy that we have it's it's much more fragile than we would usually think and as you as you said if, even in your country you need to you need to fight for that so yeah we always need to remind ourselves and each other about the fragility and yeah and keep fighting oh and by the way fdr said franklin roosevelt said that the united states was the arsenal of democracy mm. that was one of our jobs in the world to make sure the people that need we're fighting for their freedom and fighting for all of our freedom have the arms and the support they need so yes yes that's our job and it's so important and i will make just one more comment that usually i i often hear from our kind of progressive bubble especially the americans who are, who are quite reflective about the wrongdoings of you know american government over the last 30 years or so and they say, oh, we've been pushing democracy so hard without even, you know, inquiring if those societies were ready for democracy. And so basically this, this imposing guilt on ourselves, but, and, and the, the, the kind of the, the conclusion is, okay, we should, we should leave those, those good people alone and not to push their, no, come on. It's so much depends on uh, on the U.S. and there are countries that really need your support. So, for you know, imposing too much guilt on yourself, we really need to to connect to the idea that that there are places in the world like Ukraine who really want to to keep that democratic way of life and to be part of this civilization. And we really need your support. So we, yeah. Absolutely. I, I love my country. I'm a patriot, but I love it with open heart and open eyes. I know we've done bad things in the past. And as individuals, we've probably done things that we're not proud of. But does that need, can that stop us from doing the right thing now? No. And in this case, I think we have done the right thing. And, you know, we can process the guilt for the dumb things we've done, but we can also give ourselves credit for the good things we've done. And there's been plenty of that, too. So you have to balance this both. Absolutely. 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 Yes, and just to end, I would like to thank you once again, John, for your very active civil position. And I would like to encourage whoever will be listening to this podcast, sometimes the best act of compassion for people who are dying in a country that is fighting for democracy is calling your um, senator or or congressmen or what or opinion leaders and asking them to support Ukrainian cause and i know that we will be able to listen to this podcast just before the date this yes. uh, 22nd of february you mentioned as a date when it will be issued just before the full scale invasion 2 years ago Again, but we are very, very anxious about the funding, whether Ukraine will, will get the, the package of funding that is now under consideration still. And I hope that within this month, the situation will be resolved. But if it is not so, I beg you to do the constructive, compassionate action. And now it's more than just empathy. It is acting upon your values 
I, I promise the Ukrainian civic society is quite conscious that we need to, to be self-sustaining and independent and develop our business and increase the investment opportunities. We are conscious of that, but it's just too much for us now. It's too much is on our shoulders. About half mil of million men will be mobilized within the nearest few months. So not receiving this funding is an existential threat. And I hope that the democratic world understands it. Yeah, beautifully said. Okay, God bless you guys. Love you, support Thank you. I'll do all I can on my side. Thank, Thank you, Tom. And your team. Thank you very much for being a part of this conversation. We hope that you were moved as we are moved, being part of it ourselves. We'd also like to say that this is being funded by Roger and myself. It comes out of our pockets. So if you would like to help us to mainly to get this podcast out to more people, because the bigger audience have, which is steadily growing, but the more people we can reach and the more marketing we can do, the more positive effect we can have on the world. So we've done a couple of ways, but we'd like you to buy us a cup of coffee. Very simple. And I do that with podcasts that I support and I found it's very satisfying. So thank you for your help. Thank you for your presence. And thank you for all you are and all you do. We love you.